powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Bump, we spent a good chunk of the season thinking the Seahawks would have the number three overall pick. You guys remember when we thought that the Seahawks should could draft as early as number two overall if Chicago like figured it out and won Those a couple the games? Days. There was a world like pretty late into the season, by the way, where the Seahawks could have had the number two overall pick. All they needed was for the Broncos to like lose, uh, you know, two more games at the time than Chicago. And you were like, well, maybe Chicago figures it out because Justin Fields is pretty solid. Like maybe he's the guy. It was just it was a tease. It was a tease the whole time. Uh, We thought that Seattle would have either the second of Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, or if they were at number two flipping with Chicago, their pick of the two because Mm -hmm. Houston was at number one. Then week 18 of the NFL regular season hit, and all of it changed. Not only did Houston slip to number two behind Chicago, Chicago takes number one, but Arizona finishes at three, and obviously Indy bounces up, and here's Seattle at number five. Now, number five is still the highest pick of Pete and John's career, but suddenly we're not talking about Jalen Carter and Will Anderson. We're talking about Tyree Wilson. Uh, He has been mocked most often to Seattle. Bump, you watched some of his tapes, so I want to talk about two things. Number one, a new mock draft has Tyree going a lot higher than we think. And number two, you've got a breakdown of some of what you've seen from him. Where do you want to start? Do you want me to do you want to start with your breakdown? Uh yeah, let's start with the breakdown. Okay. Uh Tyree Wilson, the kid out of Texas Tech. One good vibes now. Texas Tech, we got a LB out of Texas Tech who's yeah, right. doing his team. Shout they out. make some good ball players over there. First thing you need to know is he's 6'6", 275 pounds. This young man is big. The first thing I saw on film, he's good on the backside of a zone when you're running that QB option. So what you do is a zone zone read option, I should say. So if you're making a you're running a zone to the left side, typically they leave that DN to the right side unblocked, and the quarterback makes a decision. If that DN crashes down, he keeps the football and he runs it. If he hand, if he stays upfield, then he hands the football off. What a lot of guys do in that position that Wilson is in is they make the wrong read or they commit too early, either to diving down on the running back or staying up field and getting after the quarterback. He stays put. He puts his right hand on the shoulder of that tackle. And he allows the quarterback to make the decision Same, what are most you of the time. Like, like, show me. Show me your hand. What are you going to do? And then once he diagnoses the plays, boom, he's on. Is he perfect every single time? Of course, not as football. You're human beings. But he's great at that. I love that. Also, what I like, I mentioned he is 6'6", 275. Mm-hmm. I've seen him take on guards and tackles that are pulling. So what guards and tackles do, most of the time when they're pulling and you're on the backside and you're waiting for that guard and tackle to get to you, you're trying to get in the way. You're like, okay, man, this guy is bigger than me. He's stronger than me. He's probably going to light me up. I'm going to try to get in the way and try my best to force everything inside to where all my help is. I'm looking at this dude, man. He's putting that right shoulder into the chest of that tackle guard. Boom, still mating him and still being able to make plays. There's not too many guys that I see who can take on guards and tackles that way. And then when he's rushing the quarterback, he gets a great extension. So um, say he speed rushes, he's trying to get outside, and what he does a great job of doing is getting hand on the chest plate and extending away from the tackle. So one, he has space to work, and then two, he can see what's going on in the backfield. I've seen him with his hand in the dirt. Mm-hmm. I've seen him standing up. Now he's raw when it comes to pass rush, and I'm looking at him and saying, you're just more athletic. You just have better hands than that guy. You mean like you don't see the skill or you don't see the specific skills, but you just see athleticism? Yeah, I okay. don't see. He has one move. 
what I've seen so okay. far, two moves. He'll bull rush you or try to hit you with a one-two step. Um, but then I think, okay, but he doesn't have to do that at that level. He's had so much success mm-hmm. at that level. He's just going. So once he gets under some coaching as well, I like this young man. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. He's a smart football player. If he can mess around and go to this combine and run like a 4-8 or something like that, they're going to be all over him. And I think that's why we're seeing a couple of mock drafts yes. where he might be going a bit higher. Very naturally leading me to our next point here, which is a recent mock by Daniel Jeremiah puts into question the idea of the Seahawks just being, I don't want to say left with Tyree Wilson since you're at number five and he's an elite player, but you don't get your pick of the two best defensive players in the draft. Because in this new mock draft, Daniel Jeremiah has Will Anderson going to the Seahawks at number five because Tyree Wilson is going number three overall to the Cardinals. He's uh, not the only one who's who's really high on on Wilson. So Jeremiah says, uh, I have a quote from Jeremiah and then sound from Matt Miller. Jeremiah says, there's a lot of love for Tyree Wilson around the league. His combination of size, length, and production has teams very intrigued. You heard Bump talking about that. Here's what Matt Miller, another draft expert, had to say on Brock and Salk. I think he's going to crush it at the combine, and you know it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot like last year, where we all thought Aiden Hutchinson was like the dude, right? Like he's going to go first, he's going to go first, and then it ends up being Trevon Walker in large part because of what he did at the combine. So I think with with Tyree Wilson, with Miles Murphy, those are, are guys that Will Anderson should be a little bit nervous about how well they're going to perform. He's saying I think Tyree Wilson could perform well enough at the combine to jump Will Anderson. Uh, one more voice I'm going to throw in here is Eric Edholm. Uh, who was on with us. He's the lead draft writer for NFL.com, and this is what he had to say about Tyree Wilson. I would say among the senior prospects who, coming into the season, I would say he would have been among the highest graded. It was a little bit of a surprise he didn't come out. There was still plenty of stuff he could have worked on. He can be a little bit stiff at times, but you just don't draw him up too much better than 6'6", 275 pounds, massive wingspan, some pass rush ability, some some edge setting ability. You know, you can you can take on those blocks and, and shed them and dispatch guys pretty easily. I would say could still get stronger too, which is incredible. He's a big kid, but I think there's even still some strength and athletic development that could happen. Do you buy Tyree Wilson potentially jumping Will Anderson or or becoming the second defensive player off the board? I, I can see it. I can see it. You put on the film. You see dominance. You see versatility. You see a guy who can make an impact right now. So now it's all about just fit. You know, what exactly are the Arizona Cardinals looking for? Right. We we feel like we know the Texans are going to take a quarterback and the Colts are going to take a quarterback. What are the Arizona Cardinals looking for? What is head coach Gannon, first-year head coach, what is he looking for? He's a defensive guy. Mm-hmm. That's where things start to change. We've already seen Arizona in a position to where they get a new head coach. You already got a quarterback, but this is the quarterback that I want to start my tenure. So um, I can see it happening. I think when you compare Wilson, you compare Carter and Will Anderson, I don't think you can go wrong with any one of those three, especially after watching, I mean, I, an hour straight of film on this young man. Well, and that's why I wanted to do this segment. I was really excited about it because I feel like we've gotten very, uh, I say we, Royal We, my super sweet 16, about the number five overall pick. You guys remember my super sweet 16? It would be, did you ever watch it? Oh, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, for anyone who doesn't know, my super sweet 16 uh, was an MTV reality show. And before you plug your ears and change your radio, let me tell you why I'm saying this. It was this reality show where, like, rich kids who were turning 16 would have these huge parties for their birthdays and without like fail live elephants. Yeah. Into, I'm, I'm uh, talking like ballroom. a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money for 15, 16, 17 year olds. And without fail, 
almost every single one of these episodes would have the parents giving them a car because the parents are rich. It's obviously not this kid's money. And in about 80% of episodes, the kid goes outside, sees the car, and mm. is disappointed and throws a temper tantrum that it's not the car that they wanted. It became such a popular thing that there were like spoofs about it where, uh, you know, people would go out and be like, I wanted the BMW, not the Lexus. Or, you know, I wanted the Mercedes, <laughs> not this Porsche. And it would just I can't show my face at school driving this Rolls Royce. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they would be just so I upset. I wanted the yellow Hummer limo, <laughs> like just the stupidest stuff. I feel like with number five overall, because we spent so much of the season thinking it would be, you know, Jalen or Will, Jalen or Will, Mm -hmm. that now we're sitting here at number five going, okay, well, who's left? Who's left? Who's left? (laughs) A top five player in college football is left. One of the best defensive players in the draft is left. A guy that you're going to draft at number five is probably going to be better than a lot of the guys already on your squad. I mean, not in terms of experience or or know-how or anything, but in terms of just raw athletic ability, that's what's left. It's just because it's not the BMW want you wanted. It's still a Lexus, <laughs> right? Like, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. It's like, yeah. I want I, this entire segment, I want you guys to walk away feeling like I can still be really excited about what the Seahawks could get at five. And Bump has spent a lot of time looking at Tyree. And if it is Tyree Wilson, it is a great addition for this defense, it sure sounds like. Yeah, it's a great addition. Uh, there's a texter saying, only oh, you need a three, four. You need, you know, an outside backer and an interior. I'm saying that Tyree can do whatever you want. Is that his name, Tyree? Yes. Tyree Wilson can do whatever you want him to do. And if you look at the Seahawks' defense, right, um, usually set the strong side, you have a backer walk down, boom. So what's on the backside? You still need someone who's going to have contain and set the edge on the backside. What they typically do with that linebacker, after they put him in space a little bit, but they'll walk him down as well. Tyree would be perfect in this. Mm-hmm. Say you want to go 4-3. You want to ha- make him a tra- traditional DN at times, which they do at times mm-hmm. in Seattle. I think people just think all they do is run a 3-4. Mm-hmm. Before the season, we heard 3-4 with 4-3 principles and stuff. They mix things up. So... Uh, the guy said, Google, Google 3-4 and 10 we see. Homie, you watch as much film as I do. You're you also talking you to a to, former football player. You don't need to Google it. I'm saying, you put this guy out there, he will be setting edges. He can drop into space from every now and then. I'm not saying do this all the time, but he's a guy that if Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are gone, okay, you do not pass up on this young man. You do not say, oh, no, we can't do anything with this 6'6-275 guy. <laughs> Athletic freak. We'll pass. Yeah. We'll pass. No, thanks. I'm pretty good. Also, can I just say, is he someone who, I just need to make sure I understand. Obviously, he's he's listed as an edge. Um, is he someone that, if he comes to Seattle, is playing with those hypothetical, I know it's not this simple, front three guys? Because what I think also is happening is we're like, hey, we'd love to see uh, more pressure, mm-hmm. right? Seahawks were top 10 in sacks. They didn't have a ton of pressures. Right. Um, but Uchenna and Daryl might be enough. I think that we, because we don't always understand the roles and responsibilities of the guys up front, we think like, oh, no, the real issue is getting guys who can get to the quarterback. Man, you need so much in that front seven and with that defensive line that there are other roles that need to be filled that we aren't paying as much attention to. Yeah. You need someone to be able to beat these offensive tackles. Mm -hmm. Now you can do it with some help. Say you put Tyree over there. He's one-on-one with this tackle. Now you walk down Ochenna. Now you got two-on-one on this guy right here. Yeah. Now you can run these stunts. You can do all these things. I think that people 
pigeonhole some type of players. You know what I'm saying? I think we did the same thing with Carlos Dunlap. You remember mm-hmm. the beginning of the season? You had him in certain position. You let him lose. Boom, he's balling. Guess who just won a Super Bowl this year? Yeah. Carlos Dunlap Good because the Chiefs found a way to use him. So, no, you you mix guys up. Ideally, ideally, I think that Tyree is probably most comfortable in a 4-3 for sure. But he can handle a 3-4. He can do all the things you're asking him to do. Uh, all right. So that was our look at uh, at Tyree Wilson. I feel much better. I, I didn't feel bad, but I feel really excited about the potential of the Seahawks, you know, drafting Tyree there. I still go, even not at two or three, I still go defense at number five. I, I know that we've entertained a world where they take C.J. Stroud, you know, hey, they don't bring back Geno. Um, a couple other quarterbacks start to go. Both defensive guys are off the board. You know, Wilson would probably still be there, but there's a world where you can draft a quarterback and and, you know, get that position taken care of. I still like 99 percent of scenarios I run through in my brain are defense. Yeah, there's just no way. There's no way. There's no way. No way. All right. Um, We uh, coming up later in the show are going to get back to Mariners at one. Shannon Dreyer is going to join us. We've got hype train coming up at one thirty. Taking a look around the NFL, uh, a draft expert told Brock and Salk what he thinks the team should do at number 20. Guys, don't forget, there's not just one first pick we have to talk about here in Seattle. There are two. And we haven't been talking nearly enough about the second of those picks. We're going to get to that starting with NFL headlines at 1230. This hour, Bump and Stacy brought to you by Muckle Shoot Casino. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one, the Mariners holding their first full squad workout today in Peoria. What's the real headline? You know what this means? Complaining about beer prices is right around the corner. Now, obviously, baseball. And the season starting is right around the corner. It's not even that far, you guys. End of March. We are inching closer. But um, but also, it's uh, it's one of those things where I'm so hungry for the baseball season to start. And then I remember that once it starts, all I do is complain about lines and beer prices and concession stands and not scoring enough runs. And I, I need to remind myself in this moment to just be happy. If the Mariners can push out 95 wins, tax me on my beer. If the Do Mariners it. can get into Do the playoffs it. for the second year in a row, you tax me on my beer. I'm excited for this ball club. There are real expectations this year. You have a real superstar. You have one of the best pitching staffs in the game. You brought over some help. You're going to platoon in a couple places. There's so many stories. Kelnick having his last chance with the Mariners. So, no, I'm excited, man. And, um, again, you win. Tax me on the beer. I just might not have three. I'll have two. So, I normally hate it when people are like oh if you want to you know go out and get more players they're just going to charge you more because i always think like cool. no they they have the money but also will i pay more if it means having several all stars yeah. yeah yeah i would i mean it's just again they don't need to charge you a lot more the money is there to do it for a lot of teams already but like if that's what it comes down to i'm okay with that i would pay more <laughs> to have my food at a game where my team is just mashing and like dominating uh, than I would to go get concessions and walk home after a loss. For sure. More great Mariners news this week. Friday, we're off early because of Mariners baseball being on the radio. Yes, you guys are going to get to listen to uh, some day baseball. Bunch of Cactus League games coming your way. That starts at noon on Friday. I love about Curtis. I don't check our days off. And he's always the guy to tell me when we oh, have short days right or days away. off. It's like a surprise every time. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis. Well, yeah, because if I never told you them, you'd, you'd show up to work. Show Both up. of you would show up to work. <laughs> if that's I did not, not true. Yes, it is. Okay, it's true. Yeah. 
However, I have no rebuttal. What's next? There we go. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, the Seahawks are expected to hire Rams assistant Greg Olson. Not that Greg Olson, thankfully. As their new quarterback's coach, what's the real headline? Word is he'll take $8 million for the gig and promise one touchdown. Greg, that's enough that, for me. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty I solid. like what you did with the Greg Olson name there. Thank you. First time around. It took me like you know, 0.5, but I figured out what you were doing. Thank you. You're and, picking uh, up what I was putting down. Picking up what you were putting down. Greg Olson, yeah, man. I'll, I'll talk about it even more in four down, but I think this is a good hire, man. Uh, you bring in a guy with a lot of experience who has some familiarity with Shane Waldron, who was an older guy. I believe he's in his 50s, maybe late 50s or something like that. Connect with Gino. Gino has an old soul as well. So, nah, I like it, man. I like it. And quarterback, I mean, it's an important position, but as long as your OC is on point, I think you're going to be okay. That's kind of how I'm interpreting this, but saying, like, it doesn't really matter wasn't the greatest headline rewrite, but the important thing with this is that Shane Waldron is being retained as your offensive coordinator. You've actually pointed to Andy Dickerson as the offensive line coach as being a huge uh, element of this team as well. The fact that you have stability there is the most important thing heading into your season. All you got to figure out now is who you got under center. Headline rewrites. Headline number three. Mixed bag for the Kraken this weekend. They did have the 4-2 win over the Red Wings. But yesterday, nothing went their way. 4-0 shutty loss. That one goes out to the 206. Emphasis on To shutty. the Sharks yesterday. <laughs> What's the real headline? You win some, you lose some. And sometimes you lose some ugly. Yeah, that was bad. San Jose is not very good. Worst home record in all the land, and then you allow them to get a cheap one early. That's the thing about bad teams. Once they get these cheap goals, like their first one when Yanni was uh, in a face-off and hits it in front of his own net, um, they start to believe. Like, we can do this. And what's refreshing, too, after the loss, I'm going back and I'm listening to the Sharks talk and I'm looking at their articles and Mm -hmm. stuff. They respect the crack. They're like, we just beat a good team. Like, this is big for us. So if there's anything, I guess, silver lining, it goes, the perception of the Kraken across the league is changing a bit. So I can appreciate them being excited. But we don't need this uh, to become a trend. I do love that, though. Like, I love the idea of another team being – this is why I don't get it when – uh, especially last year, Mariners fans would talk trash to like the Astros or whatever. And it would be this like running joke. Maybe other teams do this, but it was this running joke of like every time the Mariners would win, they would have people would have over exaggerated hyperbolic memes about like yeah. the Mariners just dominated your team. And m- many of them were not radio friendly, but all really funny. And some Astros fans or even Yankees fans would get so defensive and be like, <laughs> well, we're a better team. The point is that the team that was not expected to win is allowed to brag and celebrate. And the team that won when they were supposed to win just did their job and you can leave now. Yeah. You know, like you just have to. Yeah, you just have to accept Astros fans that if you or Bruins in this case, right, coming into town on Thursday, that if you get the win, you just accept it and move on. You don't get a brag. You don't get a showboat. You don't get to do anything. But if another team, if, if they upset you. To. You take the L and you move on because you're a, a better team. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I saw a meme, Drake. You know that that song you got, 21? Yeah. And, and you, you do, do something, something for And me. everyone's making all these memes of him being all feminine and stuff. And, and someone asked him, they go, like, do you get mad about that? He goes, no, I'm a character in their life. Yeah. Like, that's an honor to me. So if you're getting made fun of as a team, you're a character in our life, Astros. Like, we genuinely think about you and we're trying to catch you guys. Yeah. You guys are 16 games ahead of us, but apparently our management thinks they're not 16 games ahead of us as far as uh, their talent or whatnot. But it's a compliment. 
That's what it is. Curtis, it's not a joke. You took uh, offense to that. Not actual offense. Uh, well, we're talking about offense, but you did not like the implication that the the Mariners were a lot closer. Uh, no, because when they were 29 and 39 last year, they were 13 games back of the Astros. They finished the season 16 games back of the Astros. So they lost ground on Houston after pulling themselves out of the doldrums last year. Yeah. Uh, they've got a lot longer way to go to catch Houston than I think people are willing people to admit. Are, yeah. Well, that's what the bummer is, is. If they were in the AL Central or, uh, you know, couple other places it's like you could really stand a shot unfortunately for you uh you are in the same division as one of the best teams in baseball Mm. pretty consistently like a team that's been to the world series or alcs how many times in a row like six five or six straight trips to the alcs that's in your division you got to get by them boy is good i wonder how many games do they think really separates them if it's not 16 how many do they really think maybe 10 no way that they don't think there's a separation oh yeah and that's not me hating on the mariners but there is no way that they look at these two squads and go i don't know you could take either one well i think what it is is people looking at it and saying well if you face houston in in a playoff series you don't need to worry about winning 16 games against them you only need to win three or four yeah so, so that's it's like, difference. really, you need to beat Houston in a four-game series rather than catching them in the regular season. But it's like, yeah, but home field advantage in the playoffs is a huge mm-hmm. advantage. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you want to have. Yep. You don't want to have to go on the road in game one and game two and then not have the possibility of playing game four at all, which is exactly what happened in the division series last year. If that game one or game two happens in Seattle rather than Houston last year, who knows what what we're talking about in October a year ago. To your point, Bump, this, the point you made about like, hey, maybe they don't think it's 16 games, but they have to think it's something. Yeah. I, you're right. Like they, you're never going to come out and say like, yeah, this team's still better than us, but you are right in that like, they probably do genuinely believe the number isn't 16, but mm-hmm. do believe it's something else and they have to keep their players motivated. It's messaging. That's all that's it is. It. That's what it is. Messaging. You got to come out and have positive messaging about your team. Let's talk about some of that messaging when Shannon Dreyer joins us and figure out where this team's at. I wonder how different she thinks these two clubs are from each other. We'll ask her. Coming up at 1 p.m. before then, I mentioned to you guys that the Seahawks do have another uh, second first-round pick. We don't talk about this pick nearly enough in part because they're more variables. You aren't sure exactly who they're going to get. But one draft expert told Brock and Salk he has a specific name they should target if he's around at number 20. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. All right, taking a look around the NFL. Let's start uh, in Seattle. Why not? Um, now, we've been talking about what the Seahawks should do uh, at pick number five overall. We've heard draft experts mock most often Tyree Wilson there. And Bump, you watched the tape, so we just talked about that. But let's talk about what they should do at number 20. Draft expert Matt Miller joined Brock and Salk and has an idea. How about a quarterback, Anthony Richardson? We know this guy needs time to sit and wait, so... In that, I think, yes, Seattle would be a fantastic spot for him because at pick 20, you're not being expected to come in and unseat anybody. But it's also nice insurance in case this year was, you know, a genie in a bottle year for Geno Smith. And if not, you know, Geno's a little bit, you know, a bit older. He's a veteran at this point. Having someone learn behind a quarterback who's going to turn 33 this season is not the worst thing. 
All right, what do we think about Anthony Richardson, quarterback for the Florida Gators, at number 20? Man, athletically, this dude can play. I think I can see him becoming a good professional in this league eventually. But like you just heard, I think most people think he needs to sit and develop a little bit. And he can develop under Geno. I just don't think there is um, the urgency is that great at the number 20 pick to, to use that on a quarterback. There are other quarterbacks that you can bring in to compete. I understand why they want to go that early, especially if you're not seeing Geno as your future, right? Especially if you, if you franchise him in one year, you see what a, a two-year deal does. But I look at that number 20 spot, and I, I go, man, you still go defense. On one mock draft, you got Jackson Smith and Jigba at the number 20 spot. Great receiver. But if my guy Brian Breesey is still available, detoggle from Clemson at number 20. Say you do get Tyree Wilson at number one. All right, you address the edge. You address that D-line. Then you get Brian Breesey at number 20. I think you're good to go. I look at Anthony Richardson and say, I wish if this were a different time with a different team, then I'd go after him. But then people are going to say, look, Russell Wilson developed right fairly quickly. So uh, I, I understand it, but I wouldn't go that route. All right. Next up, Marcus Spears thinks Lamar Jackson shouldn't do anything until he gets a long-term deal. Here's what he said. Lamar Jackson shouldn't step on a football field until he has a long-term contract done. And if the long-term contract shouldn't get done, he shouldn't play for the Baltimore Ravens this year. Baltimore is expected to potentially franchise tag Lamar Jackson. That franchise tag window opens up today, uh, sticks around for a couple weeks. It remains an option for Baltimore. The number for the non-exclusive tag is 32.4. The number for the exclusive franchise tag, meaning you play for us or you don't play, is like $45 million around there. Uh, that one's used far less frequently. So non-exclusive is probably what they'd consider doing that. You can tag and trade. You can tag and then come to an agreement on a long-term deal. Uh, that deadline is usually around the end, uh, middle to end of July. But um, I don't – I go back and forth at this bump. On the one hand, I understand that, like, the sentiment of, oh, you have to go out and prove yourself and sacrifice for your teammates and everyone else has to do it. On the other, Lamar Jackson has proven he's a valuable commodity. So well, I don't know what else he has to prove. He doesn't have anything else to prove. I think the organization has to figure out what direction they want to go. If he were to get that exclusive, that 45, I think you go out there and you play football, man. And I think that we eliminate the human factor in this to where Lamar Jackson wants to play football. He has relationships with his teammates. I'm sure he doesn't want to let them down. Business-wise, I can understand not going out there and playing, but there are... I, didn't, I don't see any situation where someone should leave $45 million for one year on the table like that. Yeah. No, it's... Well, and also, I... Yes, you, you would consider playing under the tag. I just, like... I feel like it's become this whole thing of, like, Lamar Jackson's ungrateful. How dare he? He better play. No, he's looking out for his future. Exactly, and I don't blame him at all. I say 45 mil. He has the potential to secure, like, 200 million guaranteed. That's why he wouldn't risk it. Uh, Okay, so this one you pointed out to me during the break. I'm just going to introduce it with NFL headlines since we don't really have another spot for it. It does have to do with college football, though. Deion Sanders. I really like Deion Sanders. Uh, I think he's a great coach, uh, clearly a great recruiter, has gotten, uh, what, the number one and two cornerbacks in consecutive years to flip or something like that. Um, He is uh, in a little bit of hot water for saying uh, that when it comes to recruits, he looks for specific things. He said he looks for dual parent homes with quarterback recruits and single mom households for defensive linemen. Dion Dion. Now, Dion's going to learn quickly 
that what you say in private, you don't necessarily say in public all the time. I doubt he's the only coach that says yeah, stuff like I this. Doubt, I doubt that. Absolutely I doubt not. that for sure. But some things you just need. I understand he wants to be real. He wants to be 100. He wants to put it out there. But in some cases, all you're doing is just painting yourself to be something that I don't think you want people to think that you are. And when it comes to any type of athlete, you look at the film. You look at grades. You look at the way he treats his teammates and, and his coaches and the janitor and all that stuff. To eliminate a kid just because he doesn't come from a two-parent home, Mm -hmm. you're eliminating a lot of kids in his community. The community that he says he is devoted to helping, the black community. We all know the issues that go on in our community, and a lot of these kids come from single-parent homes. So what you're saying is you're going to pass up on a bunch of black quarterbacks because of this way of thinking. You should be looking at them. Now, if that's the way you operate, that's the way you operate. We're going to see if this works out for you in the end. He says defensive lineman looking for someone who's hungry, single-parent home. It's like you are pigeonholing so many kids with those statements and it goes against what your mission is. I don't understand it. Well, and you're also perpetuating stereotypes and that's the most important part of it. Like if you wanted to go find stats about like, hey, this number of, uh, you know, people uh, being represented, uh, I don't know, like in prisons, like you see those stats floating around of like, oh, single parent families overrepresented in this group of, you know, uh, whatever. I don't know. Like, you can find numbers to back up any specific argument you want. So I'm not coming out here saying, like, you can never prove that a single-parent family doesn't uh, disadvantage you in some way. Like, no. I think most people, including people from single-parent families, that includes myself, so I have some bias here, are, you know, going to be defensive of that, but then also admit, like, yeah, there are disadvantages. However, what you're doing that's really dangerous is perpetuating stereotypes that this is always the case and perpetuating stereotypes about what a child from a single-parent family looks like, and not only that, but what a child from a dual-parent family looks like, because that isn't always the case either. But, like, Patrick Mahomes was raised by a single mom. Right. His parents divorced when he was, like, 10 or 11. What if what if you find a quarterback from a single-parent home who's great on the field, who's great like, in school? I don't trust him. You know what you do? You praise that young man. You hold him up and say, look, here's an example yeah. of you can do it, too, if you come from this similar situation. You don't exile that kid from a position. It's That's crazy. what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's looking at it, and rather than saying, hey, I love that this person, uh, not defied the odds, but I love that this person pushed back on this stereotype, it's, oh, this stereotype's true. Yeah. Not only that, but, like, I have no hope for my defensive linemen because I want them to be from, and this is stuff he said, I want them to be from single mom households and they get free lunch and they're just trying to get mom paid. So you're also writing them off. Like, what if you've got a, what if if you've got a defensive lineman for your team that's like, I don't know, like, I'm pretty responsible and like, my mom has a pretty good job and uh, I'd love to play for the league, but I also, you know what I mean? Like it, you're just, you're pigeonholing people and keeping those stereotypes alive and Yeah. So, um, anyway, that's Deion Sanders for you. I st- Now, I do have to make this clear because I want to stress this point. I don't think Deion Sanders is a bad guy. No. Nah. I think, to your point, he's saying private conversations out loud yeah. without adding additional context. And yeah. you're just going to offend Keep that private. Do that. It's between you, you and your boys. It, keep it private. We all say keep things within our people, sure. our group of people. But you got to keep it <laughs> private. I do think that, though, his addition to the Pac-12, I know we're kind of sticking with college football here and not NFL, but I do think his addition to the Pac-12 is huge as far as the – spotlight that's going to be on the conference this year. Yep. So I don't want to be like, get rid of Deion Sanders. I just want to be like, Deion, let me be your PR manager. He's learning. <laughs> figure He's it learning. out. That's totally fine. We'll get it figured out. All right. That is your look around the NFL. Um, we have another football league to talk about. Bump, you have an addiction and Curtis and I actually mm-hmm. wanted to save 30 seconds here to just kind of sit you down and talk about okay. it. 
Curtis. Where are the wanna, cameras? Do you want to get this conversation started? And I think you might have a gentler approach. <laughs> Bump. It's not that you know. Yeah. You think you have a problem. It's mm-hmm. just that right. we want you to stop before it becomes one. Exactly. Okay. And um, okay. we we and listeners are just concerned because we love you. Okay. And um, we think maybe you have a football addiction. Okay. Okay, and it, it 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 could it could get worse. It's not at the worst it is, but um, you approached us uh, with notes you took from every XFL game, mm-hmm. and uh, every <laughs> XFL. Game. While I think that um, you know maybe you're in danger, I needed a segment, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and make the most of it, and you're going to tell us about your notes. From every XFL game, but also what we love about the newest iteration and one thing we think the NFL should learn from the XFL that's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. It's back. The XFL, that is. Um, now, they aren't in, in Seattle. All of the teams uh, practice out of Texas, but there is a team representing Seattle, that being the Seattle Sea Dragons. Slight twist on the first iteration, at least the return uh, of the Seattle Dragons. Um, so the Sea Dragons have Ben DiNucci at quarterback. There are some familiar names you'll recognize around the XFL from the NFL, Josh Gordon being one of them as well. He is also with the Sea Dragons. Bump, you tuned into the XFL this weekend. And while I'm very excited to talk about the rules, uh, which I found most interesting, we also got to talk about the players, about the return of the XFL, what it means for football, all that good stuff. So why not get to it, Bump? Nice. What did you see in the weekend of the XFL? The weekend of the XFL. You know what I saw? I saw some sloppy football at times, but I also saw guys making some plays. I saw some familiar names as well. We started at home. We got Ben DiNucci. Ben DiNucci. The Sea Dragons quarterback. He was 35 of 54. They ran the ball like one time in 30 plays 54. at some point. 54 times he threw that ball. Two interceptions. They they had a running back. He fumbled once. He also scored a touchdown or had a, a passing touchdown early in the game to Josh Gordon. A little backhand flip. Love seeing Josh Gordon out there. He has 74 mm-hmm. yards. Shows that, look, man, you need a possession rec- receiver in the NFL. I got you, but there was also this kid named Parsons over there, man. He ran a 4-2 at just a basic open tryout, and now he's balling. We saw some familiar names. A.J. McCarron was out there for the Battle Hawks. He was 18-26, 190, and two touchdowns. I imagine A.J. McCarron being like one of the guys in this league. Like eventually, you're going to have to pay him like 300000 because <laughs> his level of play is perfect so for the XFL. What about it makes it perfect? Because I, what I remember of A.J. McCarron is he was mostly famous for the time that uh, What's-His-Face was talking about A.J. McCarron's girlfriend. his boot thing. Yeah, who was yeah. like Miss Alabama or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, exactly. Yeah. His arm isn't extremely strong, but he knows the game. I mean, he's obviously a leader. He's with Alabama. you got to be a leader in that in that offense. So he's just – his game just fits me. I don't see him being a starter in the NFL. He can probably get a job and be a backup again. But if he wants to play, yeah. I think this is the league for him. We also saw guys like Paxton Lynch. Remember that guy? How Paxton Former Seahawk. He was 15-21, 136. Okay. One touchdown and one interception. So – what I saw this game or this this weekend are names that were familiar, and those familiar names actually made some plays. They weren't just blending in. I got a big house to my guy, Max Borgie. Let's go, baby. Running back for your Washington State Cougars, Cougars. back in the day. 
I'm sorry. You, you were talking about the Cougs. I figured I could slip a go Cougs in. Okay. Okay. We're right. moving on. <laughs> Back in the day, he scored a touchdown. We had Travell Harris also as a Coug for the Houston Roughnecks. He was out there making plays. So you saw some names, but I think what we want to focus on right. is that the rules and just how they impacted the games. One of the rules that you were looking forward to seeing, I was too, but I think you were probably more excited than I was because it took me a minute to understand what the heck was going on, um, <laughs> was the, uh, the onside kick. Instead of an onside kick, fourth and 15, and we yes. saw that work to a team's benefit this week. Yeah, the Battle Hawks were able to do that. So this is how it works is in only the fourth quarter, rather than kicking an onside kick, if you want a chance to retain possession of the ball, you also have the opportunity to just convert a fourth and 15, and then you could re- regain uh, retain possession. Now, right. converting a fourth and 15 is also going to be really difficult, but I don't want to say it's easier. is more possible uh, than recovering an onside kick where onside kicks just aren't recovered often. If I said, when's the last time you specifically remember an onside kick being recovered, you're probably thinking about the NFC Championship game between Seattle and the Green Bay Packers. Now, there have been other opportunities, I'm sure, where onside kicks were recovered, but they aren't frequent. They're infrequent. Converting a fourth and 15 offers a really cool opportunity, not just in the XFL, but this is something I think the NFL should consider because it's not something that will unfairly allow a team to constantly retain possession. It's only in the fourth quarter. It's still very difficult to be able to do, but that's more action-packed. Like a passing play of 15 yards, 15 plus yards, and you have to convert it, that's always going to be more exciting. Always. Fourth and 15, you're backed up. It's fourth quarter. It's a clear passing down. Everyone knows what you're going to do. The odds are stacked against you, but you have a better chance of converting that than an onside kick for sure. And it's safer. I see dudes get lit the Mm you-know-what up on these onside kicks. So you're... You are eliminating a fairly dangerous play, especially when that ball takes that big kick and it pops up in the air. And you're giving a team a legitimate chance to recover the football. Um, another thing that I noticed in this league this weekend, you got to work on that run game. The leading rusher in week one, how many yards do you think he went for? 60. He went for 84. Okay. It was uh, Kalen Balage. I hope I'm saying your name right, for the Ramos. He went for 84 after yeah. that. God, where'd he play? 55, 42, 46, 41. Yeah. His name sounds so familiar. So they got to they gotta figure out how to run that football. Um, but passing the ball is exciting. Yeah. And uh, that's what these OCs want to do. Uh, I wanted to end on just some general notes that we had about the XFL. The first one of my bump is going to be that the XFL obviously isn't for every person. Mm-hmm. If you like football, most especially if you like taking a deeper dive into football, I find that the transparency of the XFL was really interesting. You can hear coordinators because the coordinators are mic'd up. So you hear what the call is to their team. And then you pair that with color commentators who also get that information. And they're able to say, hey, so what they're doing is this. They're looking for this to happen. It was just really insightful for the many, many, many of us who have never played. You aren't privy to that side of football and you don't get to hear it in action. So it was really interesting. But secondly, I saw someone, and I don't think he meant anything by it, um, a uh, podcaster who uh, covers the 49ers tweeted like, you know, hey, uh, I don't understand why anyone's watching the XFL. There's all these scrubs. It, do- it just doesn't compare to the play that's in the NFL. He's not wrong. The play is noticeably different. Yeah. Like the, the quality of play is less than in the NFL. But that's not really the true point of this league. It's an alternate league where they're testing things out. It's entertainment. And more importantly to me, and I'm sure for you, Bump, it offers another opportunity for players. And at the end of the day, no guy that's in this league, even though it is not the NFL, is a scrub. Like you're still no guys a scrub. watching guys get opportunities, and it can be fun. This is what's great about this league. I'm watching this league with my wife. Even my wife hits me with, 
for real? You're watching more football? Fair. I go, She's just concerned. I go, do you know how jealous I am of these young men? If this league was around when I was around, I could have had another opportunity yeah. and maybe made the jump back. Or, okay, you, you get into this league, you play a couple years, it doesn't work out, you make connections, maybe get into a front mm-hmm. office. These opportunities create other opportunities outside of football uh, other than just playing in the game. You know, so no, it, you have to lower your expectations. And then for the guy who said these guys are scrubs, is your podcast doing what Stephen A's podcast does or someone else does? There's levels to everything. These yeah. guys are trying to reach the level. And I guarantee you there are dudes who are playing this Saturday who are going to play on Sunday because they got this opportunity. It's like, you know, the English Premier League. I look at that and it's beautiful. I watch it with my son all the time. I go, man, their first touch is amazing. Mm-hmm. They're on a different level. I love me some MLS, but it ain't the Premier League league but i still watch it because i realize look these guys are still better than most of the world who plays the game so uh i man put your nose down he got his nose up on yeah. the xfl man kill that still entertaining man sports uh all right uh shannon dreyer is going to join us talking mariners with her i wanted to ask her you know about the gap between the astros and the mariners where she sees that now but we have plenty of stuff to talk about as the entire squad reported for their first spring training practice together hype train also coming your way at 1 don't go anywhere